What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host, per usual, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. How are you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing great. Just clicking off the days once again. Watching that calendar. It's getting real. It feels like I get July, yep. beginning of July, but it feels like it. <laughs> feels like it's getting real. Making videos and just working, working, working. Oh, yeah. I'm in the same boat. Just just a ton of work uh, trying to crank everything out because, like you said, we know it's coming, but it's uh, it's going to be it's still a while. But it's going to go by fast. I know that. So Yeah, it is. I've got my – I've been dreading it. I've got, I've got all this – raffia 33 pounds of it from joseph stern and uh quick shout out and uh so i've got that video to do and i've got like the a-frame the layout boat and some of the i'm gonna add some to the big boat blind i just hate brushing i don't i just can't stand <laughs> it and it's so hot out that it's just like every day i find a new reason not to do that not to make that video and work on that yeah it comes down to you just got to get up early. I'm the same boat. That's what I need to do too. I need to get up early and like beat the heat because there's a huge difference between like 68 and 88. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you got to be careful when you do it because you're going to have like scraps. It's going to make a big mess everywhere. So it's like where you do it is really important. But I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get, it's going to be a cool video, I'm sure. I'm like, nice. Yeah, I have some brushing to do too. So, um, but I'm having like I, I'm doing um, I'm doing a boat build series with my big boat. I started it last year, and I did like on the water test with like the outboard, and then that's where it ended because I bought the duck torpedo and did a <laughs> I did a whole series on that instead. Um, so back to the big boat this year, um, but I got I got to do some brushing in. But one thing I'm struggling with, like man, it's like. I just, I'm so over like supply chain issues. <laughs> like you can't even buy spray paint anymore. Like I go in there and like spray paint and it's like 40% of the, the items are like out of stock. I'm like, you gotta be like spray paint. Like we can't make spray paint anymore. It, it's, it just, it feels like everything's gone to crap. Like, um, I was, I was, uh, like so many things have changed, right? Since 2020, since the, the fall of 2020. Right. And, uh, like, uh, like, you know, obviously it's not the end of the world, but I went to, I, on a job on the way back to stop at fast food and they still don't have dining rooms open. I'm like, like, is, is COVID still going on? Like, what's the issue? I saw a whole family <laughs> like, in Walmart. Things not open anymore. an entire family in Walmart all with their masks on yesterday. I walked down there like, what? Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I've actually been, I feel like I've been seeing more people wear masks. I, I've, I've plugged, I've unplugged news once again which is the life that i lived in pre-covid that i just like purposely because people are like you're ignorant it's like no this is a conscious decision not to listen to the <laughs> garbage that's making you mad and upset all the time but with covid you couldn't really do that and so i have for the most part done that a lot of like the the social stuff you just can't stay away from but um so i don't even like supply chain stuff i and covid like are people even still talking about covid on the news at this point i don't know honestly i don't i don't watch the news either really i mean i feel like and uh the, the stuff i watch i feel like more people are just uh talking about um the last gaffe from biden or whatever you know opposed to to anything from covid related but i don't know i don't maybe i don't pay enough attention either i'm just like looking around at my surroundings and um you know so i can't tell you if they're still talking about it they probably are um, but I have to hear about it from other people. Um, but not only that, but it seems like like places are still having issues with people working. Gosh, it's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> like stores yeah. are open. Like they're not back to like normal hours. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like pre-pandemic normal hours. So it's like, I don't know. Is it ever going to go back to normal? I don't know. Is this Were they right when they said this is the new and normal? Maybe so. I went through McDonald's. I had two separate McDonald's experiences. So the first one, I ordered something and a double cheeseburger. There was like three of us in the car. And so I get up there, and he re he like takes my money, and he reads off the order. And I'm like, oh, you forgot the double cheeseburger. And so he looks really annoyed. He goes and leaves to talk to someone. He comes back and goes, my manager says that you've got to circle all the way back around and get in line again if you want your double cheeseburger. 
like, that is so – are you kidding me? <laughs> Dude, just go grab me a double cheeseburger. <laughs> I thought that was horrendously just unbelievable. The second one was my wife and I were like, all right, we're just going to go to McDonald's. We're not, I don't go to McDonald's a lot, but um, let's just go and try to eat really cheaply at, Mc, at McDonald's. And so it's just like no drinks, just like a couple small sandwiches each, each. And it was like 20 bucks. I was like, are you yeah. kidding me? Three yeah, years yeah. ago, this would have been $10. Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, prices, inflation, everything. Yeah. My salary's not going up. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. That's inflation, yeah. right? Yeah. So did you happen to peruse yeah, around I'm, on Facebook um, right after Roe v. Wade got overturned? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's wow. <laughs> Talk about just. Oh man, I, I would flip through there and be like, "Okay, X out." No, not not getting involved in that. Yep, yep. Toxic. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how quick it it switches it switched from uh, my body to my choice to yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to get a vaccine. Yeah, people hate each other right now. Hate each other. Oh, they did. They have not this though. Fast. It's just so. Uh, there's. Yeah, I mean, come on. When when Trump was pre- president, we had riots everywhere. Like, ev- like that was but insane hatred. Continues I mean, to gradually increase. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's 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 hard to say which is which is more hatred, but we're definitely not any closer. I'll tell you that. As far as like the division between the left and the right and conservatives and liberals keeps going down this road. I may have to move to South Dakota. Just saying. <laughs> is Kansas becoming liberal? Is that what you're saying? Well, compared to South Dakota, Kansas, it's it's crazy because generally speaking, Kansans are conservative. Rural Kansans are, are conservative. But then once you get inside the cities, it's like anywhere else, except there's just less people in the yeah. cities. So overall, um, we're pretty conservative, but we like to have liberal governors and our abortion laws for some reason are always really liberal. So, so why, why, like, what is the phenomenon there? Like what is causing, like, why are cities more liberal than country folk? I don't know. That's, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know either. I was just curious if there's a, if there's a, well, reason for that. but it seems to be like a thing. It's not like it's not like it's just one area. That's everywhere. That's every state. Well, ten now this is just off the cuff, but people who tend to flock to bigger cities tend to be less religious as well. And I've heard I, I, this is not my theory, but I have heard a drawn out theory of the farther you get away from nature, the farther you get removed from God. Uh, because as we all talked about with waterfowl hunting and everything, it's hard to be out hunting and just not feel the spirit of God flowing through nature. And so the theory I heard was that you, the more you get removed from nature, the more easy it is to get removed from your tie into spirituality. And then the, to me, they kind of go hand in hand when you look at the, the, the issues. I mean, you can be, I've got friends who are Democrats that I believe are Christians. So I'm not saying that that's not possible, but if you look at the issues going on right now, I mean, within 10 years, they're going to be trying to legalize pedophilia. I mean, that's what you can already hear professors talking about it. I'm not just saying that. I mean, there, it's already a push yeah. for pedophilia to be accepted. So, I mean, it's 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 so weird. The stuff that like uh, people are pushing to be mm-hmm. the norm that like when I was growing up and a kid, you just never like in a million years would have imagined that's how it's going to turn out. Yeah. You know, it's like let's let's bring a guy that's dressed like a stripper into a kindergarten classroom. Who, who in their right mind, whether you yeah, think that weird. that person his lifestyle is acceptable, who in their right mind would think you want anyone dressed like a stripper in a kindergarten class? Wait, yeah. Oh yeah. They have. They have. Um, uh, like transgender story time, drag queen, drag okay. queen story time, stuff like that. Where, okay, but it's isn't it's not like state funded schools though. It's my understanding else. is that they've that this has taken place in some public schools as well. Now, don't I don't quote me on that. That's my that's my understanding. I try to stay far removed from really getting into the weeds of all the <laughs> politics of it because it makes me feel really angry. But that's my understanding 
is that some of that yeah. drag queen story time has happened in public schools. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misinformed. Is it's a possibility I'm misinformed? I could look it up real quick, but <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, no, it's definitely even not. if it's not in a public school though. Even definitely if it's not, not a public the... school, just to think that that's acceptable, like for kids to be sexualized oh, yeah. with whether it's heterosexual oh, yeah. stripper looking or guys that look like strippers, it, it doesn't make really any difference. Just adults that think that's an acceptable activity for their kids to be around. I, yeah, oh yeah, and it'd be that much worse if if people's tax dollars that aren't okay with that are being used for that, you know. So, but how do we transition, Elliot? How do we? I don't know. I'm looking it up. <laughs> Over two hundred k. This is from the New York Post. Over two hundred thousand being spent on drag queen shows at New York City schools. That that comes from the nypost.com. And that's why uh, Disney wants to move to New York. (laughs) Parents furious after it's revealed that New York is spending two hundred thousand dollars on drag queens in public elementary schools. Man. Those uh, drag queens are expensive, it sounds <laughs> yeah. like. Now, some of the pictures, they don't exactly look all, like, strippered out. So, at least that's better. But <laughs> Oh, here's one that looks like yeah. a demon. That's nice. Yeah. has devil horns. That's good. Mm. want her around my young children. Him. Yep. Her. It. They. Around my young children. <laughs> Zerzy. Yep. Yep. It's one of those things where you just wish that you could uh, kind of leave South Dakota. everything alone and people would leave you alone too. But, you know, it seems like there's an agenda where they want to encroach on, you know, especially like public forums, like public schools. It's like that's where you mm-hmm. send your kids. Like, you know, you just wish people could be normal <laughs> and, and, uh, not you. You wouldn't just have to worry about that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. Well, that is the the, it's the not beauty the of Kansas in. is that I live in the country in Kansas and I'm in the public schools and I'm you know it's not here, and uh, everyone I live around in the country I could I could if I really wanted to bury my head in the sand from all this stuff and just unplug it from social media and and I would never even know. I think it's important to know a little bit, but at least in Kansas you can. But don't you feel like that kind of stuff yes. creeps? Yeah, I'm just saying it's possible like you, to do you it. Talk here. about it in 20 right. years. Yes, I agree. Right. Yeah. It, and then like somewhere in Kansas, maybe it's not in the rural areas and it probably won't ever Lawrence, be, Kansas but, is super. You know, next thing you know, it's going right. to be I'm sure it's in Lawrence. And I mean, you're getting, I know that like um, K-State where Aiden went, he thought that he would have a little bit more of a buffer because that's a rural Kansas school, Kansas State University. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's our, our universities are just overrun. Our universities are worthless. Thank God my son that's going to college right now doesn't want to go to a major university because they're just, they're the breeding grounds for all this crap. Oh, yeah. Definitely. All righty. Well, today's podcast topic, we're going to be talking about – what's a good title for this? We're going to be talking about five tips for marshes, rivers, and lakes. So um, we're going to be going through our tips, and we both got our list. I got the I got the advantage, though, because I've seen Elliot's <laughs> list, and he, he has seen mine. But, what um, the voters? Who has better not, tips? But, we'll put up know. a vote. In the Fellowship of the Duckens, <laughs> whose tips were better? <laughs> but the thing I was going to say is that our tips are like varying widely because the marshes that you hunt are way different than like the mm-hmm. marshes I hunt, where yours are like kind of prairie, solid mm-hmm. ground, um, and mine are like yeah. muck bottom. You can't, you can barely walk around it. Bogs everywhere. Where yours is like vegetation and flat. So, anyways, I mean, we both hunt. hunt ducks out of these places uh we got rivers uh your rivers are different, different right, than mine different. you know uh, mine are, are surrounded by timber and yours are uh open sandy shallow sand and right. surrounded by yeah i'm so glad you got to hunt that river a couple times just so you can see what it's like even though we didn't do great on either one yeah yep yeah we yeah uh, we had one where yeah. it was pretty cool but we just couldn't right. finish the birds right yep so um, and then, you know, lakes and that's lakes is something that I've actually really enjoyed hunting a lot, um, here lately. And that's something that the Kevins that I hunt with, they, they 
I mean, I would say they excel at when you ask, we've done pools in the fellowship before in the past, like what's your favorite place to hunt? And they'll say mm. big lakes every time, you know, not, we're not talking like great lakes, but like lakes and they do really good on those lakes. And the, and that's where, um, a lot of the spots I've been picking up here in the last, um, year, year or so have been on those. And, uh, you know, we shot some limits out there. So, um, yeah, all I have to say, I'm excited for this topic. going to be fun. So let's get a quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into it. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to Onyx. Guys, Onyx is an awesome product for waterfowl hunters, um, and it is a game changer. I don't, I don't like to say that term unless I actually mean it, but it, it's been a game changer. Having the information, whether it's public or private, in the palm of your hand, if you don't have Internet service, you can download it before you go. Um, and be good to go. You know, right now for for picking up those spots, I'll tap down on the property that I'm looking at, get the landowner's tax information, drive out there, knock on the door, and you get that yes or no right away. So it's it's really an awesome. Not only that, but uh, so many different things you can pin and um, and go back. And so it's like you might see something in the future uh, that you you pinned way in the past, you forgot about. Oh, I need to go check that out again. So um, an awesome tool for the waterfowler check it out motion ducks decoy spreader system you know jordan just talked about that river hunt we're having problems and the problem was we didn't have enough motion we did too big of a spread on a non-windy day with not enough motion and we couldn't land the birds if you use the the motion system i promise you on no wind days you're going to be more effective get that size of your spread down small use motion ducks and you are going to kill more birds that is a promise i've experienced it myself my least favorite day is no wind, and over the last three years, that problem has diminished. It's still always going to be a problem, but with the Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader, you can diminish it. Code DuckGun2020. Go pick it up. Awesome. Also, like to give a big thanks to Tetra. Tetra is the hearing protection of choice for me and Elliot. We actually had someone in fellowship talking about it today, and we had a lot of people agreeing with us. It's just an awesome product. The way they've designed it where you can hear everything else going around. You can hear the things that make duck hunting, duck hunting, the whistling wings, the birds quacking, all of the sounds of the marsh. Um, you can hear your buddies talking to you, but bam, it cuts out the sound as soon as a gun fires. Um, so it's really a seamless uh, way to have hearing protection. Not only that, but I mean, the, the other choice is just not having protection for your hearing. And long term, that's not great. Dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, some other issues. Not not just being able to hear. That's uh, you know, that's not something that you want to live with, especially when you get older. So check them out, guys. Tetra Hearing, you won't regret it. As I know, you still need some more waterfowl gear for the season. You need to check out Final Approach. Their their camo and all of their decoys. They've got so much cool stuff. You've got to go and check it out. One of my favorite things about it is they're branding each item with this little blue F.A. So every item just has this little tiny hint, an accent of blue in it. And I'm just in love with it. It's so cool. Clear down to their um, weights. Their Texas rig decoys have this blue coating on. on. It's just so their, their products are amazing. They are tied in with Rogers. And we all know you love Rogers. So go check out Final Approach. See their lineup. I think you'll be pretty impressed. Awesome. And last but not least, guys, make sure you check out the I'm I'm going to I'm struggling here cuz I want to say freelance <laughs> freelance hunt stats, but we're changing the name to North American Waterfowl. It's going to take some getting used to. Um but that is officially going to be the new name for the gap and guys, Elliot and I are just cranking out the work. This is something that um and we got deadlines. We we got to get this as as much stuff on this updated ready to go by season and one thing that i'm super excited for on that guys is the leaderboards we're bringing to you um this year and not only that but the new look is awesome so all that stuff is in the works um so you make sure you jump over there check it out um right now if you're going to look it up it's you search for hunt stats on apple or on um google play in the app stores and you can find it not only that, but it coincides with the Patreon. If you are a Patreon with Elliot and I, um, then you can get access to the Hunt Stats app as well. So it's kind of a two-for-one. We're going to keep running that. Um, and not only that, but we'll have the Hunt giveaway coming later this year for anyone that's supporting us through the Patreon. So we're we're super excited about all that. Um, and this year, the, the Hunt giveaway will be meeting up 
and it'll be me and Elliot and one of you guys, and we'll all be in the duck bus, hopefully smashing some limits to ducks. So stay tuned for all that. But without further ado, let's go ahead and we'll jump right into today's podcast. All right, so podcast topic, as we said before, we're going to be hitting up um, all the different uh, topics, or not topics, tips for uh, the different areas we hunt. We got ri- we got rivers, we got marshes, we got lakes, and it's going to be a good one. Elliot, you want to you take yeah, away on so this? Yeah, so this is a video series that I've been working on where I've got three different videos, one about the marshes, one about the rivers, one about the lakes. And Jordan and I just got to talking because we talk all the time. We're like, you know, this would be cool to flush this stuff out on the podcast and and I, I don't know if this is I think this is true with Jordan as well, maybe not as much as me. So we are marsh hunters at heart. I am a shallow water marsh hunter. And but as those start to freeze, then we span out to the lakes, to the rivers. And it's probably because that's what the ducks do. The ducks are typically in the marshes and the refuges, then those freeze and they either go to the lakes or the rivers. So um that's really the three places that Jordan and myself both focus on all of our efforts. And so we've kind of honed our skills in on those areas. So we thought it might be helpful if we just kind of passed on to you guys what we thought are kind of our best tips for not only success, but enjoyment of those areas as well. So it's successful tips, but also enjoyment for yourself. Um, So killing more ducks and having more fun while you do it. Awesome. Well, I guess I I missed the assignment because I didn't put any, uh, Anything about well, having more fun. you did, because <laughs> killing more ducks is more fun. Mine was just a uh, – that is true. Um, but I will add, you say these are the only places we hunt. I, I hit up some dry fields. I know you don't You don't really do that, but, you know, maybe that's 10 to 15% of what I do, um, you know, usually for – I've got my day. My day will come on dry fields, I think. I just have to get more time in my schedule to do the scouting and, and that kind of thing. Right now, we just not not part of what we do. Yep. Good deal. All righty. Well, let's, I guess let's take it away with marshes and I'll, and I'll let you. Uh, All right. Well, the first one, when I say it, you're going to think it's obvious, but it's a little more involved than people think. And that's just the scouting. Now, when I say scouting, what people typically think is a day or two before the hunt, you're going, you're trying to find birds, you're trying to find the X. And yes, that is, that is an important part of scouting, but scouting goes way beyond that. Scouting doesn't just mean where the birds working, but it's knowing the area that you hunt. Knowing in each pool where the best vegetation holes might be, knowing the water levels and how that's going to affect the area. So one thing, if if you're like me and you can't go out and scout on a Thursday and a Friday before you're going to hunt on Saturday, then you're going to do yourself an advantage by getting in those marshes ahead of time. I've already kind of started. I've already been on one scout and two scouting trips um, this year where I'm kind of starting to get an idea of where the vegetation is going to be um, before this broadcast, Jordan and I were talking about a lake in my area and I'm monitoring the water levels. And I know because of these water levels, I can already tell you where there's not going to be flooded vegetation or there was last year. So that all goes into the scouting aspect. I can, no, I can say the name if you want, but, but our buddy Dane's going to get to see it with a blindfold on here. Our, our patron Dane's coming down. We're going to go look at it. But so scouting isn't just knowing where the birds are. If you can't, the best way to scout is obviously a day before you give the whole day to go find birds. But if that's not possible, you want to already know your area, the water levels, where the vegetation is. It's just that it goes into it as well. And if you do that, number one, it's just more fun. More time in the marsh and scouting is more fun, in my opinion. And number two, you're just going to give yourself a, a step ahead to know the area better than the next guy. Awesome. Definitely can agree with with all that. And so um, my first tip for the marsh is you know this goes for the beginner so a lot of people when you get out there um you might try it different ways the first time i hunted a marsh i was solely going um by human power in a paddle but you know it really opens up your opportunities out there if you can get a mud motor so this takes some investment but a mud motor in the marsh is going to get you to so many different places um and you know you're going to be um getting away from all those people and getting out there further and away from everybody trying to find uh, those locations that the ducks want to be, that they haven't been pressured yet. Um, and for me, it's definitely been a game changer. Getting getting a mud, to- gut, ugh, a mud motor, whether it is a long tail 
or a surface drive. Definitely. Yeah, that, that opens up everything. Any type of boat. And one thing I'm not talking about on my video is kayaks, too. It's just any kind of boat you can use is going to greatly increase your your um, um, success. So the next one is, I think a lot of people overlook this, especially those of you that are a little younger. Not all of you, but think through your hide before you get into the marsh. You need to have an idea. How are we going to hide? Which way is the wind coming from? Where's the sun? How are we going to hide? There are sometimes places that I'm like, well... We're not going to hunt that today. I'm just not quite sure how we're going to get hidden. You never just want to wander in a place and try to figure it out. Sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes you can hide in cattails and be okay. But if you spend that extra time planning and prepping for how you're going to hide, you are definitely going to shoot more birds at the end. So I say get it brushed to them how you think it needs to be. Double and triple that. And then, and I'll be honest, I still have this problem of like, I think that, but then I don't actually follow through until the, until I start missing opportunities. And then by like nine 30, we're fully brushed, which I've complained about that about myself before, but you know, yeah. just brush, 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 but plan your hide out. If someone asks you the night before, how are you going to get hidden? And there's silence. You haven't done your job in preparation for preparation for the hunt. So just make sure you're ready and plan that aspect of the hunt. Awesome. And I'll kind of add on to that one. Um, I had hide as well. Hide is king. And that's something we've said, uh, you know, many times. Um, and in a marsh, honestly, you have, you probably have the most variety of, I would say like pretty decent hide options. So you can do a, a boat, a boat blind in a lot of places, you know, some places a little bit harder than others, depending on the vegetation level. Um, not only that, you can do layouts. Layouts are probably far and away uh, mm-hmm. people's favorite option uh, for concealment. In marshes, whether you got a layout boat, whether you got a kayak, um, like Elliot, you mm-hmm. like to run with your kayak and, and layout blind. And then and I went on a hunt with uh, Josh on the collab two years ago, and that was, I mean, that was a super fun hunt. Um, the most successful hunt I've ever had where we had layouts, um, and almost every bird that came in there uh, was working to us, not flaring. We did have to work some, you know, quite a bit, but um, we got all the opportunities we needed to, to shoot our limits. Um, and not, and then the last one I would say is a frame and I, and I love hunting, um, a frame just, that's just honestly my preferred method anywhere. Uh, if I can make it happen and it be successful, I'll pick that over the layout boat. I'll pick that, um, over a, a boat blind as well, just cause I, I'm more confident in finishing birds from an a frame than a boat blind. Um, but yeah, that's just, I would say you can do all three of those in the right situation. Um, and then kind of going back to the hide, you know, a lot of people uh, want to change decoy setups and they want to change the spinner, turn it off, pull it in. Like if you're not finishing birds, um, those are kind of a lot of people's go-to or maybe they, they say, hey, let's just not call in this flock or, or whatever. I feel like those things are like rarely does it the next bird work in or does it have like a um, a, a, a great percentage of birds finishing. Um, but one thing that's been um, over and over, I would say, when I have issues with birds finishing in, it goes to the hide. And the number one thing that I've done that, that's fixed that is to move back. So you might be right on the edge of brush, even if you're just standing in the cattails and you don't have an A-frame, then, then uh, you might have... I'm losing my train of thought. You just have a better chance of success <laughs> by moving back. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like we, when we've moved back, A-frame, cattails, whatever, 10, 15 yards, and the birds finish in, you know, maybe maybe you're shooting them at uh, uh, 25 yards instead. They're landing in the decoys and before they're flaring off at 30, 45, and you're right on the edge of the brush. So it's like mm-hmm. a net positive gain. So... Yeah, all it's say hide hide is yeah, one. And I will say sometimes you need to move back to the point where it's uncomfortable to shoot. And I suck at this with the A frame, and I know you do. I cannot stand having brush like right in front of me where my gun gets messed up in it. And I know that doesn't bother you. And I just hate it. I hate it. But sometimes you have to put yourself in a situation where you're not quite comfortable when you take the the shot. I'd rather have that situation at a twenty yard shot than a fifty yard shot with no obstructions. So good points on that. Yeah, you you hate that less than you hate uh, yes 
sky right. busting it. And that goes right into my next point is your shot selection. This is crucial everywhere, but especially in public land marshes where there's other people. Because what happens is you get people packed into a marsh. If you have one group that's going to shoot at 50 to 60 yards, it screws everybody. Because birds come into the marsh, they circle, they work, they're looking down. People are typically screaming on them with their calls, looking straight up at them with their face, which doesn't help. But then, you know, they kind of start getting serious. And the next thing you know, someone shoots off a 60-yard shot. And it's ruined for everyone. So here's the deal. If you don't have the best spot in the marsh... It's better off if that group that has the prime spot, if they're finishing birds and they can get out. Now you got less people in the marsh. Maybe you can move over to where they are. But if you get one or two groups that just continue to want to bang 50 plus yard shots, it ruins it for everyone. So be patient. You don't need to leave the marsh at nine. Be patient. Let the day play out. There's a lot of times you'll feel frustrated up till nine or nine thirty. People start leaving. You're limited by 12. You just banging birds at 50 yards is not going to help the education of the birds. You're going to wound birds. You're going to screw it up for everyone. You're going to spend more money. So just be patient. Act like you have been there and done it before. And if you don't shoot a limit that day because you're not banging at 55-yard shots, then that so be it. But it's just better for everyone in the sport involved. Don't sky bust. You know, some people, Elliot, might have to well, leave by nine. <laughs> yeah, there, there are times, but there's lots of times. saying it's not mandatory. Some people, yeah. it's like, and I don't even like talking about this very much because I love it that people leave at 930. I'm like, oh, sweet, 930, beat it, Jack. You know, where they just get impatient. You know, it's just like, oh, I got up early, you know, 930. Yeah, some people have to go to work and stuff. But generally speaking, so many people consistently leave between nine and 10 that I know not all of them have responsibilities. It's like. Let the day play out. Yep. And I know that everyone's life is different, but, you know, sometimes that 10 to 130, that's when you're going to kill a ton of your ducks. So be, yep. you don't you don't need to shoot those such yeah. far if, shots if at 830. Have... Just chill. Relax. It's okay. Yeah. And if you're if you're one of those guys that has more time constraints than Elliot, <laughs> then uh, I would say you need to schedule some some times in the season where you have that time to do a full day hunt. I mean, there's nothing like just giving it that full day. And maybe, you know, maybe that's not what you enjoy. Maybe not all day, maybe, but make it to the afternoon, you know, just uh, um, schedule a few times or, or, you know, whatever you have to do, build up your brownie points with the, with the wife and, you know, where it's okay to hunt in the afternoon um, a couple times. It's just, I really enjoy days like that where you don't have a lot going on and you can stick it out and and you end up having some some really good hunts. Yeah, uh, and I'll say out, like if you're so. a football fan, NFL football fan, you need to take this new approach that all these coaches are taking. A 50-yard shot's like kicking a field goal. We want touchdowns. We want feet down. The goal is to kill birds cleanly dead feet down. That's like a touchdown. A 50-yard shot is like a, is like a 60-yard field goal. There's no need. Let's be aggressive. Let's get it done. Get stop me. I need to move on. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> uh, the next one I got, and this one probably doesn't apply to you, Elliot, but it applies to a lot of the guys that use cheaper mud motors. And from my experience with these cheap mud motors, um, don't run an aluminum prop. Honestly, it could go anywhere. I'm just... <laughs> But my, I've had in the marshes multiple times where, where those props will get you. So don't run an aluminum prop. I had it on the Chasing the Opener uh, series two years in a row where I broke three aluminum props each, each time. And uh, I was one prop away from being stranded and having pull, to be pulled out by somebody. So since then, I'm all, <laughs> yeah, all right. stainless steel. You know, and that's how... That's how the big, nice mud motors come. But you can run on a long tail, on a cheaper long tail. You can still run the stainless. Like, but my uh, my Go Devil, you still um, your they come. They just come with stainless steel. Anything like you have, Elliot, with your uh, your what is it? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. you got a right. Go Devil too, right? A Go Devil, t- yep. uh, surface drive. Um, yeah, then they just come with stainless. But if you go with any of those uh, lower tier long tails. Yeah, just put the stainless steel on it. But the the surface drives, you can't necessarily do it because you break a chain 
um, and then you'll be stranded as well. So that's a that's actually a step worse. Which than we well we busted problem. a belt, but ours are all stainless steel. But you, so with those stainless steel, you do need to keep track of the length of them because they will get whittled down, and they'll you lose like a half an inch on them, and not even realize it, and it makes a big difference. But yeah, stainless steel is the way to go. I think that's all mine on the marsh. I believe. All right. Yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead and move to the rivers. So first one I got. Or wait, you're, okay. you're up. I'll, I'll um, I believe in big spreads on the river. Now sometimes this is tricky because now, like Jordan said earlier, the rivers that I hunt are shallow, sandy bottomed rivers and sometimes there's holes over your head but a lot of times it's ankle to knee deep difficult to boat up and down on because of the sand shifts and it's shallow but and sometimes you've got to go down big high banks to get in there so it can be really really difficult to get big spreads in there but you're typically trafficking in in the rivers so you, you want a biggest spread as possible there's not normally a food source in there so when you find birds in a place either because they have a hole open on the ice or it's just because they're there and so if you bust them up and they leave, they may not necessarily come back to that exact spot. Unlike the marshes, where if you find them all in one spot, it's probably because they've got a good food source. And they're probably going to come back to that food source. So you have to keep that in mind with the rivers. It's a little bit different as to why they're there. They're there for the water. It's normally cold, so they're normally feeding in the fields and coming back to loaf. So find a good spot that is in an area where you've seen lots of birds and you can traffic. So you want as big a spread as, as possible. And I'm going to more big goose heavy spreads, even for ducks late season. I think that that's just a better way to go about it. So big old spreads, lots of geese if you can. Yep. And not only that, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan. We talk about those big spreads about running silhouettes, especially those sandbars, silhouettes and sandbars are like, Less they're frozen. For each other. Less so they're that's frozen. That's how we run our and big that spreads on the river. A huge, which we run into that problem a lot. Yeah. That's why I had to go away from silhouettes because when I go to the river, the sandbars are normally frozen. So then you're sitting there with either like a big long drill or a hammer in, and, and that is not a good situation to be in because you just can't get them in because yeah. it's frozen. Well, if you use a mallet on those, and we've, we've ran a mallet on them, um, then you can get it. You just bring your mallet. And we keep a mallet and all the the bags mm-hmm. because we do it in ice too. If you're hunting on ice, you know we'll pound them into ice. Yeah, it's just not. Fun. And it does take longer, but you just yeah. have to calculate in, that in there. Um, and the thing about the the other thing about frozen sandbars is you can do it on the water's edge, anywhere where the water's at, as long as it's not ice. Even then, you can break the ice, and underneath it, you can push into the sand. So um, there's there's the hot tip for your your silhouettes on the sandbar. Um, but the first thing I get got is, and like I said, we, we definitely have different situations because a lot of the rivers I hunt are tight, small, you know, tight quarters. And we do hunt the big rivers too. Um, but the, the first tip I got is to watch for those rivers on the freeze up. Um, as soon as everything else freezes, and in our area, we don't really have marshes locally. You know, we have some marshy kind of swampy areas, but um, we don't have big, marshy areas so it's like the lakes freeze up everything else even the water in the fields is going to freeze up and those birds i mean they have to have water so um on those days you can get them coming in they almost loaf on the river you just get up on the river and they're flying back and forth um and you can just pick a spot and and have some decent hunts um so anytime that that river freezes up and it can be just like a especially the early part of the season that's when i'm really trying to do it for duck um for duck hunting it's just as soon as it it's right on that edge from thaw out to freezing and you'll get those mornings where you're looking at the temp you're like is everything going to freeze and it really depends on and a lot of things you know the wind um and everything else but if you get a cold snap down to the 20s or or teens especially and it's just a cold snap real quick man get on those rivers because the first day they're on there it's almost like uh, getting new fresh ducks. So I'm always looking for freeze ups yeah, when it comes that's to a good river. Point. It's, it can be tricky to figure out ice and when it's going to form and when it's going to be there. It's an equation I have yet to master, but it's, it's something you have to keep your eyes on. Now, again, my, my rivers are a lot different than Jordan's are. My rivers are very, very wide and very shallow and you've got sandbars up and down the river. So we always try to get out on the sandbars. In fact, that hunt I was with Jordan, 
that I mentioned. We started on the bank, tried to move out to the sandbars. We were trying everything. But typically, we try to get out on the sandbars if possible because the birds want to be out in the middle. And that brings on a whole different set of problems because it's very, very difficult to hide on a sandbar. So something that the old timers done, I've never been able to do it because it's always frozen, is they dig holes and use logs. So they will actually, I've heard of guys take it, bring in a shovel and dig a little pit to lay in and cover it with logs, um, driftwood. And also we've gone down to just one person in all white if it's an icy situation where you just lay one guy in all white. Um, also, we've had work um layout blinds in a, in a white cover. And like Jordan talked on one of our last episodes of we're going to start trying to do an A-frame with an all white cover, but it is the, the out in the middle is better if you can find a way to be hidden than on the bank. But if you're not willing to go to like one guy laying down and do those types of things, you may just try to stick it out on the bank, but it's, it's difficult, but I, we always feel like out in the middle is better than on the shoreline. Awesome. And next one I got um, is to try to get farm access. Uh, this one thing that's really helped me in the past on river hunts, if you can get permission from the landowner to access it, a lot of farmers have lanes in their property down to close to the river. And honestly, it's been a huge part of what I do, having access from farmers. So you just got to knock on some doors, get that permission. Um, I actually got some on my list this year to get uh, for more access from it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's those places where, um, well, there's a couple situations where if your river is slow flowing enough that it freezes up at times, or maybe the boat ramp freezes up, which definitely can be an issue if you can't get your boat in, um, then you have the option of walking in, um, carrying a canoe or whatever you got to do to do that. So, uh, you know, and, and the situation is going to be looking forward as well as if it's <clears throat> really far away from access and it actually gives you an advantage to be right at the farm. Um, or if you're just new and you don't have a boat or you don't plan to get a boat, you know, it's, I guess that boat's not for everybody, but I, I love having a boat because of all the opportunities it gives me. But when I first started out having farm access, getting down to the, to the water that way was uh, huge. Last one I'm going to mention is just safety. Rivers are more dangerous than, than shallow water marshes, and I believe more dangerous than lakes because you've got shifting variables that just create hazards. So just always be on your game. I can think of three times, only one of which I was on, no, two, four, four different really dangerous events, two of which I was on and two I weren't, where you know people could have died. So you've got to be very, very careful when you're on the rivers, wear your life jackets. Every step you take is an exploratory step in the river, especially if you have a sandy bottom where it's rolling sand. You can have a knee-deep spot one day, and then something goes weird with the currents in the sand, and now it's a hole, a 10-feet hole, two days later. So you just, my rule with the river is never trust what you think you know. Like in a marsh, so you can pretty much trust how deep it is based on the height of the water, and you're not going to be developing any holes, and pretty much same with the lake. But in a river, you have to – when you're walking around the water, you're thinking every step you're being careful, and you're trying to just – safety has to come first. And there has to be times where you're trying to walk away, which I can think of one time where I had a hole – and there was tons of birds in it, and I thought I knew the depth. It was icy, and then there was a big hole out there, and I was sure I knew the depth on the ice, but I was by myself, and I'm like, I just can't do it. I just can't do it, and you have to walk away because that is just the most important thing, the safety, and on the river, you just have to be that much more safe. Yeah, yeah current is nothing to mess around with. It's uh, It can definitely catch you off guard, especially when you have all those other variables that you talked about but you know swift current you know it's a it's something that can overpower you really quickly so that's definitely a a good thing to mention elliot um so the last one i got is hunt those rivers for late season geese and uh that's something you know you said elliot earlier there's one you didn't want to mention man i feel like we get the rivers to ourselves yeah. when it comes to late season goose and i don't know why because it's i mean we have so much fun and the more and more i do it the more and more i enjoy it and that's probably i mean we're just uh, i think our setups are getting better our hunts are getting better um we we got we keep finding more and more spots so you have more places to scout and find the bo the birds but uh, the amount of pressure, like if you think about like duck opener, 
uh, it's like a thousand times more pressure than like the last day of goose. <laughs> it's like, uh, so it was a night and day difference. Um, you know, I hate to say it cause I hope I, I hope, uh, I hope there's, uh, many more years with no pressure. Um, and I can, and I can go in the rivers for those late season geese and, and find them. Um, and then, you know, you know, there's always those people that think that all of the river is the roost and geese do roost on the river, but. I mean, I'm all about it. I think it's fair game. Um, you know, I don't know. Well, let it's me let me game. add one That's piece to that because I've had <laughs> people whine about this as well. Rivers, the way rivers work is if you flush a roost on a river, they're not going to leave. They're going to go half mile up or down river and just find a new spot. It's not like you found this little lake or this little pothole or like it's a refuge. It's not the same. You know, um, not all of us can get private access. And when I have seen this with my own eyes again and again and again, you flush the birds, you can go watch where the most of them are going to sit. It's only going to be a half mile, three fourths of a mile up or down river. So you do need to change your thinking about that a little bit with the rip, with the river system and, um, roosts. I think people do. Yep. All righty. We're ready for my turns. So with yes, a lake, sir. you are going to have, at least with the lakes that we're hunting, I'm talking about state reservoirs that were created specifically for control of water flow. And in my state, we have a lot of them. So we that's what I'm specifically talking about. That's my lake experiences. And they are run and operated by the Army Corps of Engineers. And then you'll have some sections of that lake where there's marshes and they develop, and then those are run by the Department of Wildlife and Parks. And so you need to get really good with where are the boundaries, where does the Corps of Engineer own, and what are those boundaries, where is the Department of Wildlife and Parks, and check the maps of the Corps of Engineer. Because sometimes the, the guys that run Department of Wildlife and Parks and the guys that run Corps of Engineer, their land is going to butt right up against each other. And if you look at their maps, sometimes they don't even match as far as where the boundaries are. In fact, I've got a place right now that I can think of that has buoys and signs that say refuge line and it's not the refuge line. And I boat right through it. It's not the refuge line. I know for a fact it's not the refuge line. The Corps of Engineer, when it gets into core land, they are the ones that set the boundaries. So you want to check the Corps of Engineer maps online in your hand and get to know where can I hunt, where can't I hunt. And there are times in which when the lake is low it will tell you you can't hunt, but it's, it means you can't hunt the bank and you can literally walk off the bank down into the bed where you're still on dry ground, but you're off the bank and you can actually hunt. So you need to poke around, ask questions, call the core, learn the boundaries. You can sometimes find places that everyone else thinks are refuge and it's not. In fact, I got called out on a video by a guy one time that said, I saw you out there. I remember you were in the refuge and I didn't even answer him back because I wasn't. He just thought I was. I knew the boundaries better than he did. And I've shot lots of ducks there. So I just like, okay, yeah, sorry. I didn't say nothing. But so get to know the boundaries very, very carefully. If the if it's different between Department of Wildlife and Parks and the core, you're going to default to the core if it's on core land. And I would have images ready to pull up on your phone if you're in one of these questionable areas where you're like, you know you're legal, but other people don't think. Have that image on your phone. Be ready to defend yourself, but get to learn those boundaries. And sometimes you can find little spots that other guys don't know about. Awesome. Like you said, Elliot, the, our, our lakes, again, are, are totally different because um, we don't really have that type of mm-hmm. stuff around where I hunt. Maybe in some part of the state, but um, where I hunt, it's a little different. In Indiana, uh, every lake is just public everywhere and they allow housing developments around and stuff right um yeah yeah and there's no like there's no (laughs) obviously you can't shoot people's houses but there's no set thank god in kansas they don't do that that where in missouri they do Uh, that where you build all around the lakes and thank god the reservoirs in kansas you they do not allow people to build houses right around it yeah yeah super jealous of that super jealous of that because that's it's great for wildlife. I understand. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. lake life around our lake areas because it's just 
right. housing housing development everywhere. You know, super nice houses all the way around it, and you're lucky to find like a little section where you can hunt. But I mean, that is what people do in our area. So it's like you're you're hunting um, in in areas, and for you know, forget about it in an early season. You gotta it's got to be cold enough that people aren't you know uh, enjoying the lakes for for other things. Where whether so let me ask you a quick question about this. Stuff. I'm curious. That, uh, so objectively. Sure. Do you feel yeah. like if there's houses all along these rivers and lakes and stuff that they should let people hunt? Seems like to me they shouldn't. <laughs> That's just the way they do it. If you were land, yeah. if you were if someone was hunting sure. right in your backyard, I mean, I, I would be like, why is this allowed? Right, right. But yeah. it's public land. <laughs> That's why it's allowed. It's public land. So you think that that you think that the I mean I know you benefit so, from it. Yeah, I, but you think that hey, it's just how it is, and they shouldn't change it. I yeah. mean, obviously you're going to feel that way. I'm trying to get you to be objective. Sure, sure. No, I mean, no, I definitely don't want them to change it. I just I understand like if you're not the person hunting, you would feel like you can't trust them. They might shoot your house, or you know. You might not want your kids to play in the backyard, but it's like it's in the it's in the dead of winter, usually in the morning. So it's like, you know, uh, those things don't collide too often. But I I definitely can put myself in in their shoes as well and and understand where they're coming from. But right. but also it's it's public land, so um, you know, uh, as long as it's set up that way, I do my best to. Right do it in a smart way and that's how it is all up and down um, the east coast i think yeah, too and it means for sure. a lot of that yeah no you're right yeah you see all the the videos that come out of like um chesapeake bay and it's like you can see like right uh city crazy. life in the background yeah. kind of it's kind of it's kind of crazy yeah so definitely not my preferred thing on, on lakes but that that's something and, and then kind of continue on and what i was talking about with michigan it's similar but they do have anywhere you hunt whether it's lakes or rivers, um, or or marshes, but all the marshes usually are are public land areas, so you don't run into it. But with houses, you have to be 450 feet away from a, a permanent dwelling. So I know every state has different kind of regulations on on how they uh, want their their hunting to be done. On on lakes in particular, seem like the 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 regulations are different. So. Um, you know, all that to be said, I'll get to my tip now, finally. <laughs> but uh, you want to find those tucked away areas um, that on those lakes. So, you know, most lakes you'll find like little sloughs or um, just little tucked away areas where the ducks are going to feel more comfortable. And that's where we get them a lot of times loafing or, or coming to feed. Um, not like on the main big part of, of the river or the, not the river, the lake, but the tucked away little sloughs seem to be the money spot and kind of to add on to that you know with uh uh the way that i've kind of got access to those is um knocking on doors like i said in indiana you don't have to do that but we really don't have the same opportunity um in other places where you do have to have permission you know you, you knock on those doors and um the, the go-to for me is a farm because it's like you said elliot nobody wants you to hunt in their backyard you're not going <laughs> to knock on someone's door especially like you know for the most part Set up if it's your a-frame a, a on really their dock. nice high dollar home <laughs> yeah can i no you have to have like a personal like relationship with somebody like that but like a farm you're like hey um and and the thing is it's already public land it's like hey uh, a lot of people hunt this public lake um i'm just i want to have permission to set up against your property or in the in the you know, in the the cattails or vegetations on the edge of the lake, um, and those are usually the ones. If the only ones you get nose on for that is if they duck hunt already, or if that's like not a big enough buffer uh, away from like where they deer hunt, because there's a lot of people who deer hunt and really aren't fond of duck hunters just because of the number of uh you know shots fired. And I, I really don't think it makes a big difference for deer. They yeah. they understand what's going on. So my next one, I haven't fully figured this one out. So my one of the main problems that we have on lakes is birds short stopping or stopping short of the decoy set. So you can have all your spread out there and the birds with all of that water out in front of you, they tend to like to land at about 50 to 60 yards. And that can be a major, major issue. So here's how we deal with that. Number one, we're just patient. 
and we don't take those shots and we try to hope there's enough birds working that not all of them are going to stop short. But the main thing I'd say is, is decoy shifts and placements. If you're in a situation where you have decoys out and birds are continuing to stop short, change decoys. Sometimes bring them in much closer, sometimes push them out even farther, but play with your decoys. Make sure your hide is set. And I will say, if you have tips for this, maybe your buddies, um, the Kevins, have some thoughts on this one too, because this is a serious problem with lakes is short stopping, but it's a problem you're going to have to contend with. So you better yeah. have some form of a plan if it's happening, what to do. And I, I like to hide and moving decoys around. Awesome. I, you know, I just heard recently uh, um, from, from someone notable that you can create this <laughs> right. long runway yes. of decoys. And yeah. <laughs> No, I I, does, I actually talked that about that in my like, video. I just went yet? into so such depth about it last week. I just chose not to. But right, well, well uh, number one, the, on some of the reservoirs, sure. it just depends. Like some of the times, it gets deep so quick, you run into that problem right away. But um, that one video I was talking about was yep. at a lake where you and I hunted, where it was a shallow inlet, and right, we put two really long groups on either side with a one runway down the middle. And that is definitely, for some reason, when you create that visual with that whole middle open space and you can put some some motion decoys, you know, right where you want to land and you've got a big, long outline group on the right and on the left and a, and a runway right in the middle, that's definitely something that you can try to combat and, and use for that as well. I did talk about it on the video. Sure. And, and kind of to add on that, I mean, that's the, the style mm -hmm. to do for for divers you know divers long lines that you just make a line with the runway when i did diver hunting on on the great lakes um i'm sure they do it the same way on um whether you're doing like coastal as well um but we they'd have like double runways where it'd be like one long line through the middle with a spinner at the end of it and then long lines on either side and then people laying in between those uh each right. runway and the birds would come right up it like you said so um I don't know what the science is behind it, but you're right. It does seem like mm -hmm. there's there's definitely something to that. Yeah, but just keep uh, playing with it. It's going reason, to probably so. be a problem that you that you have. So just be ready for it and shuffle those decoys around and see if you can shuffle the motion around too. You know, sometimes the motion can make a big difference. But it, it's yeah. I will say the one thing on for me uh, when I've had that difficulty is hunting out mm -hmm. of a, a boat blind. We'd get them to shortstop. And it's not like they're seeing us, but it's like they're seeing the hide. So, you know, people call it blind shy or, or whatever. And so I'd kind of go to, I think that sometimes right. it's a, it's a hide issue and, you know, it just depends on the area. The other thing that we've done, um, we have it where they'd short stop us, um, at a certain spot that we hunt and we, we actually have had a lot of good hunts there, but one thing we started doing and this place is super shallow, so it's unique in that. Um, but we were able to push an A-frame mm. out in the open, just in the water, standing out there, and we're in, like, ankle-deep water. Um, and that's just our go-to now. We just push the A-frame all the way out there instead of hiding in the cattails, and you don't get shortstop. So, you, I mean, we could push wow. the A-frame out, like, 100 yards on this shallow Is that uh, that area. little rock so, bed pool where you um, had that thunder yeah. <laughs> whatever video at? Is that the one you're talking about where you've done that? Because oh, you guys did that there. No, it's a different one. You but we have done that, that there. Yeah, we've done that there too. That's right. That's probably where we. Ah, gotcha. gotcha. Well, it's not mine to hunt, so too bad. <laughs> I don't have the permission on it, or else. Um, I really didn't even scout it to know if there's birds. Like I said, it's not. It's not mine to hunt. So, um, if I get if if uh, whoever has permission on it, you know, uh, scouts it and finds the birds, yeah, and I one. get an invite, I'll definitely go back to that spot. But, My turn again. All okay, right, go for it. Uh, I think it's mine actually. Uh, so the another big key for me on lakes is finding uh, finding lakes. You can't you can't just go to any lake. You have to find lakes that are around other habitat the ducks want to be at. So for us, you know, maybe for you, Elliot, it's different. You're going to have lakes with marshes or or whatever. Um, for us, uh, the big thing that I found here in the past, if I'm going to look at the map and kind of pick out one. And, you know, the reason I'm kind of thinking of this tip is because I'm still growing my uh, my tool belt of places to go, you know. And uh, um, if you can find a lake that's part of a chain, it just seems like 
that amplifies the success rate by a lot. If it's just one lake out there, that's all. That's all the places the birds can be, that one single lake. Um, but if you got just chain of lakes where it's like four, five, six, um, all together, and then, you know, uh, a few miles to the north, there's there's another chain and just kind of continues. And you can find this in my area where it's uh, just a, a path of water that almost seems like the birds use it as a migration trail, uh, you know, a mini flyway through the area, then I really do think you have some good chances of seeing them. Not only that, but you're going to end up finding birds that you're going to traffic that are just flying from, from one place to another, or they're just happening to pass by you, see your set, and you can pull them in. So it's just increasing the number of birds in the area. And so uh, those chains of lakes uh, just seem to hold a lot more birds, and, and they've been uh, a success for So are these lakes you hunt man-made or natural, typically? Um, because you know we don't. I, I won't say natural. zero because I'm sure someone will correct me on it. But we have almost zero natural lakes in the state of Kansas. They are all man-made reservoirs. They dam up rivers to control water flow. Because Kansas is actually very slanted. Because we're right. You know, we you go west and you go into the Rocky Mountains. So the elevation, so the lake drains really fast. Or the, the the state drains really fast. But there is virtually zero. Um, natural lakes in the state and we have we have no chain lakes just none that's like a foreign concept to me other than times where i've been up you know minnesota and just interesting to hear you talking about that it's just so different yeah well minnesota i mean you, you kind of mentioned that right, that's right. what they call it the land of ten thousand mm-hmm. lakes or something like that where I'm sure their lakes and all that, it's almost uh, a problem. There's there's so much water. I would think that so. It probably too. spreads the birds out, I, I would assume. And so you'd probably have to focus more on, on food sources and um, things like finding the, the wild rice. And, and uh, uh, that's something that we really don't have a lot around here that I know about, you know, but. Uh, getting further up north and even in like the UP, the you know, thing a thing was finding mm, uh, here, water yeah. and habitat with wild rice. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's going to be different no matter where you're at. And just get guys to come on just to talk about the challenges of hunting those states because every it's just so cool. Every state is so different. Um, so hmm, interesting. It would will not, not cool enough for you move to out of Kansas, Kansas though. Is it? I would love to travel. <laughs> I just am constricted by my no, schedule. I mean, just to, you know, I mean, I yeah, it, I wouldn't go to Minnesota probably, but um, not that I have anything against it. I just yeah, wouldn't be on my list. Yeah, but I would love to travel more. <laughs> You're backtracking now. Gotta find a way to be able to do it. Um, all right. So the last yep. one I have is just kind of an overview of my thoughts of how waterfowl work on these lakes. So this is typically late season and birds are in an area either number one, because they've all just ended up there or they found a spot that's kind of protected where they haven't been hunted or they're on a refuge. So just like rivers, when you kick them out, you cannot expect them to necessarily want to come back to that same spot because there's no reason they were there. They were just there to be there. You just happen to find them there. So you, what you want to do is you want to try to be able to find their flight line. I know that day you and I hunted, I keep going back to that hunt, the first hunt, your first hunt in Kansas, we saw where the flight line was. It was on the other side of the lake, and we sat there for 45 minutes and watched streams of ducks go from the refuge and land up on along that shoreline. Had we known that and we had been under that flight line, we'd have pounded them. We'd have absolutely pounded them. We got up, we moved, we set up where they were. We shot, what, four or five? ducks we shot a few but they didn't come back because there was no that's just what they were doing that day and they'll probably do the same thing you know from day to day um until for some reason they switch so learning those movements and where they are we're just literally a half mile on the wrong side of the lake and it meant uh probably limits versus only four or five birds but a lot of times they go off lake and they feed in and in kansas around all these lakes you're gonna have ag fields it's gonna be corn it's gonna be beans it's gonna be whatever in my part side of the state that's typically what you get you get corn and you get beans and they're gonna go to those and then they're gonna come back 
So if you know where they were and where they started from flying out to, then a lot of times you can be set up. And from that 10 to two range, that's where you can really get them. So when it's really, really cold, there's days where we don't put on the lake until shooting time, which is a little safer. And we're boating across the lake and we're just kind of watching what the birds are doing. Then we're getting set up and we're really trying to prepare for that, you know, 930 to two o'clock or really 10 to one, one thirty range as when they're coming back in for their loafing um, after, after feeding. So you can spend a little more time and be a little more leisurely about what you're doing. It's not like on marshes. A lot of times, you know, your first hour and a half is the best part of the day. That's not necessarily the case on either rivers or lakes. The colder it gets, the more birds are going to consistently move, especially ducks. Maybe I don't know as much about geese because I know they can sit all day, but ducks, colder it is the more they're going to move the whole day long so kind of try to find those veins of ducks where they're flying set up underneath it be ready for that 10 o'clock flight um that's kind of the best strategy i think when attacking these reservoirs awesome all righty well i think that's probably a pretty good place to go ahead and wrap her up so um, definitely. That was definitely a fun one, Elliot. You no, I, I just really enjoyed this. Be thoughts. watching my YouTube channel because I'm making three videos out of these with a lot of actual visuals to go along with it and, and more than actually we hit on today. So I'm, I'm excited about this topic. I've been thinking about it the entire day. So just you want to diversify. You want to be able to hunt the marshes and the rivers and the lakes and have the equipment and the knowledges to be productive on all three. So just learn from it. Try to gain, try to get yourself to the point where you're comfortable with all three and strategize and, and you will end up with a lot, a lot more ducks at, and geese at the end of the, the year. If you're able to hunt all of these places. Awesome. Definitely. Uh, well said, Elliot. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the duck gun podcast. Stay tuned guys. It's going to get crazy. I'm sure we'll get more and more updates the closer we get the season on projects we're working on and, and, uh, you know, a lot of relevant, relevant things, but, um, that's all we got for tonight. I'm Jordan Duckin Chronicles, Elliot from freelance duck hunting, and we'll see you guys on the next one.